Hello and welcome to Meet the Education Researcher. This is a podcast from the Faculty of Education at Monash University. And here we talk with researchers in and around the faculty about their current reading, writing and thinking. So welcome to the first recording in our semi-regular series of Meet the Education Researcher podcasts. My name is Neil Selwyn. I work in the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. So the aim of these recordings is very simple. We're going to spend 15 minutes or so getting to know what researchers in and around the faculty are currently up to. So today I'm joined by Jeff Brooks, a professor in the faculty. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Neil. So just before we started, I set you a challenge to write your current research biography in 140 characters or less. And you described yourself as, and I'll have to go through this slowly, the sense and nonsense of leadership, equity and learning and education. And you also had a subtitle, an interrogation of assumptions and an exploration of possibilities. So my first question is, what the hell does that mean? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I ripped that off pretty quickly. And uh, I think as I was uh, as I was thinking about it, the inspiration for the title actually comes from an old S.I. Hayakawa book called the the mis the use and misuse of language, and uh, and so the, so it was a little bit of a play on that, and and maybe hints at uh, a little more than than I thought of when I first wrote it. <laughs> but what what it's really about is that. Um, Leadership is a field of research and is also something that's practically implemented around organizations and societies full of a bunch of garbage. It's uh, full of a lot of propaganda and a lot of things masquerading as research that are really just meant to advance a, a, uh, an agenda of one kind or another, whether it be personal or institutional or societal or whatever. And I think that uh, one of the things that I've done as I've tried to move through my career is to take a look at those things that are um, really more about bombast than substance, try to interrogate them, rip them apart, and uh, both expose them, but also try to point a way towards something that might be a little bit more authentic. And I don't know if that, in the end, uh, needs to be called leadership, but it's a Definitely, definitely what I'm trying to do in my work in part. So I was going to say that's not necessarily qualities which are unique to leadership. You could probably yeah. say that about every area of uh, education research. I mean, in terms of the leadership research that you're engaging with, you're also focusing on an equity, um, I mean, and learning as well, which is interesting. Um, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think that um, for a good dozen years or so, I've really focused a lot of my work on issues that a lot of people um, might recognize as as uh, social justice issues. So looking at things like racism, sexism, ageism, so on and so forth, and trying to understand how that influences leadership practice, but also how leaders can influence those kind of social dynamics in, in their schools, especially. Most of my work focuses on K-12 schools. Um, and, and so I think I, I've found that uh, in the beginning, while I felt like there was a lot of promise in this area, I'm starting to feel the same way about the equity research that I do, the leadership research, that a lot of it is a, a lot of a fallback to sort of uncritical assumptions about things. Uh, a lot of it is um, stuff that reads really well on a poster, but maybe doesn't hold up so well in use uh, and in application. And so um, I find the same thing with learning. Um, since I'm mostly interested in schools, one of the things that I'm interested in is uh, the relationship between leadership and learning. And uh, I'm not interested in that in the sense of 
things like tests uh, or anything like that, but um, trying to connect ideas of leadership to different sorts of approaches and ways of thinking about um, learning, uh, especially more recently interested in things about um, how fostering creativity and uh, trying to get, um, try, trying to uh, not really assess work as much as, as uh, trying to understand development uh, probably from more of a postmodern perspective. So mm. looking at it not as something that's sort of monolithic that happens at the school level, but as something that's actually that's uh, happening with individuals. Yeah, I, mean, I love Gert Biesta's stuff, and he talks about the learnification of education as well. Mm. So my, I always trying to move away from learning, but I think leadership, as you say, it's probably an area where you really need to bring learning back into the conversation. Well, it's a big problem because a lot of the ideas in education um, around leadership have been borrowed pretty much lock, stock, and barrel from business. And so business looking at things, uh, generally speaking, though not exclusively, as sort of some kind of bottom line activity, productivity increasing, um, you know, making processes more efficient and all that kind of stuff uh, sort of subverts the ethical and the, and the learning qualities of the organization below um Champion, championing things like, you know, are we spending the money correctly? And, mm -hmm. and are, are these, you know, way, things that we're doing yielding the outcomes we want in this kind of like functionalist view? And I think that what I'm trying to, trying to get at is, is sort of uh, understanding the, the more uh, human and flexible sides of things. Human. As a word you don't hear very often in education research. Now, you seem like a busy guy. Every time I see you, you're running around. What are you actually doing? What's keeping you busy at the moment? That's a good question. I just I just finished off uh, writing a, a textbook, which was a pretty major undertaking. Um, and, and in doing so, it was sort of both uh, exciting and depressing because what I was doing a lot was it was so basically you do I'm doing a gigantic literature review. And we organized it around some ideas that are a little uncommon in, in the field. So it's so it's a bit of a different spin, but it's also in doing that, what it makes you do is sort of appraise what's out there, and then well, it, ma it makes you really uh, understand sort of how the field is lacking. Yeah, yeah. And I think that what that what I what I've arrived at too is I think that over the last two or three years that I've written I don't know three or four pieces that are sort of critiques of the field, and I'm getting really bored with that. Um, uh, you know, it's fine, and I just think that okay, fine, these it is what it is. Now let's uh, get in there and fill some of those gaps that I'm moaning about. So that's your exploration of possibilities, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I yeah, think yeah. so because I think that what it is is it's. Uh, um, I find a lot of the the research in the field uh, fairly routine and not terribly interesting. Some of the best um, research on education, at least from my way of thinking, was done back in the 70s and 60s. Mm. Anyway, around the real radical school form, reform ideas of, you know, think back to things like Summerhill and. And some of the really radical schooling experiments in uh, in uh, Mexico, and some of the stuff around you know, de-schooling, and some of that's kind of making a comeback recently. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, now I was going to ask you actually, in terms of uh, what you've been reading, what have you read recently, or mm -hmm. that's been written recently that's been really good? Yeah, well, I've read a, a couple of uh, depressing things about higher education and the sort of rise of neoliberalism, things like. Uh, Richard Hill's Wackadamia and all that, but uh, hey, Australian, isn't he? Or yeah. at least writing about Australia. Australian, as far as I know, at least spent a lot of time in Australia, um, and that brings up some interesting ideas. Just that uh, helps you make sense of what it's like to work in these kind of places, and just um, interesting that that uh, he points out some really 
think, pretty uh, insightful things about not just talking about it as neoliberalism, but what it really looks like on a day-to-day basis. And so, so that, that was interesting and helpful and understanding, for example, how much of my time uh, as a professor is actually given over to things that I don't know much about and mm. I have no expertise in and not much interest in, like marketing and growth strategies and all of these kinds of things. Wackademia. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Excellent. That's right. So, I mean, that's the new stuff. I was just going to ask you, mm-hmm. kind of, who are your kind of go-to people that you just, your greatest of all times? And also, yeah. why do you think other education researchers should engage with these people? Um, I think that um, I'm, a, I'm a, a great lover of lots of classics of social theory. I like, uh, I've read a lot of and been really heav- heavily influenced by, I don't know, some of the, some of the old, the old dusty uh, names that you see are kicking around social science research in general, Durkheim and, and uh, Husserl and, and, and a lot of those kind of, uh, you know, sort of early on social theory, social critic type researchers. Uh, I, I went through a phase where I was really interested in a lot of um, social contract theory as a way to understand leadership. And so I read a lot of Hobbes and Locke and Rousseau and so, some of those sort of folks. Um, and I found that to me, Education research has really ignored a lot of the great social theories of the 20th century. And so one of the things that I've done a lot in my work is to is uh, I actually use conceptual frameworks that are sometimes 100 years old mm. to study contemporary issues. One, one that uh, I recently used was uh, just a couple of years ago and revisited last year is a cultural anthropology theory called a moiety. And it's just a way to look at at subcultures. That's all, you know. I mean, it it can get as fancy as you like, but it's a what it's really about is just a way to understand subcultures. And I find this is a good example when you think about educational leadership research because a lot of it is built on school culture research. Uh, but sadly, while that research is fairly rich, actually, I would say the school culture research. What educational leadership people have latched onto are just talking about it in terms of like visions, missions, goals, these sort of big abstract ideas that they don't really get into the sort of nitty gritty of what some of these, you know, good, strong, empirical work using some of these social theories can do for us. So it ends up being paper thin, very, um, doesn't really get into things. And then, you know, people are constantly surprised with, oh, with all this quote, great research that we've done, why don't we understand these organizations better? And how come our new initiatives fail so often? Well, it's because we don't really engage with the, you know, either what's happening in our own organizations at a deep level or with what the social scientists have told us over time we might expect. Yeah, it's definitely something to be said for going back to back to basics and back to basic social science. And I think also I also find in education research that, that people pick up on phrases Mm-hmm. Even something like communities of practice yeah. gets kind of reused in education until it's just mm-hmm. people, kind of dictionary definitions of what community and practice means rather than the actual concept. So going back to the originals is really, really useful. I mean, I'm interested in as well in terms of, um, you've talked about you just finished this big book and mm-hmm. it was a big review of literature. What's coming up? What yeah. are you kind of getting excited about? Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I'm really... I'm really looking forward to actually, I collected a lot of data in the Philippines a couple of years ago and have done a little bit with it, but I'm finally now going to do sort of a major dig into it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring, I'm going to build that first around the ideas of uh, Marshall McLuhan, actually, the, the uh, communications theorist who, the guy who wrote the book, Understanding Media, that introduced the idea of hot media, cool media. And, and what I'm, what I'm going to do is, uh, 
is take a look at some some of uh, his ideas and the critiques of his ideas and try to understand it in a way and try to apply it in a way to this empirical work that I've done in schools around leadership and look at sort of so what that would mean is looking at for example like hot leadership and cool leadership so hot leadership being you know those front burner types of uh, things that you've got to do something about you know that take up your time every day and then the cool leadership being the ones that it's like more implicit sorts of things organizational phenomenon that just sort of evolve on their own or emerge on their own and trying to understand sort of what does it mean when we focus our attention on certain things and and uh, take our attention away from other things. Mm. And so, for example, relating that to issues of equity, it's really interesting because what that framework's been helping me do is I take the, the sort of preliminary look at the data is it's really helping me um, it's really helping me unpack it at a more at a deeper level than just the superficial kind of level that, that my initial analysis, I didn't use this framework. But this is really helping me see, okay, just because people talk about something a lot doesn't mean that it's actually being dealt with on a substantive, deeper level. Mm. McLuhan's definitely having another moment as well, I think. Mm. There's an entry book came out a couple of years ago called The Digital McLuhan. Mm -hmm. um, and of course he was in, was it Annie Hall he was in? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. absolutely yeah. fantastic. Uh, it's, again, a really good example of taking someone from outside of education from back in the day and seeing how relevant what's relevant now. The other one that I'm that I'm uh, that I've always been heavily influenced by, but never done much with, is the work of a cultural anthropologist named Edward Hall, who wrote a series of books um, sparked first by the pretty popular book uh, The Silent Language, but then he also wrote Beyond Culture and uh, the hidden dimension and others. And what his his take was uh, looking at culture as a very nuanced phenomenon and that probably most of what we do when we study culture is, is uh, very thin and we really focus on sort of communication as something that happens as a written or spoken sort of medium. But he would he developed a system called a primary messaging system where there are 10 different ways that we communicate. So it's through what we eat, how we use space, all of these different kinds of kinds of ways. And so I think that's one of the things I look at. A lot of the research in my area is heavily interview-based, whereas cultural anthropology makes it a more observational mm -hmm. type, type of research. So you can kind of see different things that you might not notice otherwise if you just rely on people's interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What people say and what they mm -hmm. do are two completely different things. There's a lot to be said just for hanging around. <laughs> I mentioned what's cooking in your head. Where are you? I mean, you've got this data from the Philippines that you're going to be working on. Is there any big idea that you're hoping to kind of build up into a project? Yeah, there are a couple of things on the go right now. Um, have a, a a small grant to do a little bit of work um, with my wife Melanie in uh, Indonesia, and we're looking at issues related to uh, religious extremism. Um, we're talking about sort of exploring that a little bit. Um, and looking about how that might play out in an Australian context uh, over the next couple of years, um, maybe pursuing some funding about that, but we'll see. But I think that, that more than anything, I think that um, the projects that I have sort of on the go and the ones that are on the horizon are ones that I'm actually excited about. There's, in, in many cases, because I've just finished off this really big project, it's giving me a little bit of space to breathe and, yeah, to, yeah. and to revisit some of the things that have gotten me most excited over the last few years. Yeah, so, it's good yeah. to get fired up again, isn't it? Definitely. Uh, the last thing, I'm always panicking about the future. Where is this education malarkey all going? Have you got any decent intelligence, any big issues for education research that you can see on the horizon, upcoming problems that we should be bracing ourselves for? Where's this all going? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a, there's sort of the usual stuff that anybody who reads a newspaper or has a kid in school would, would probably see, you know, the rise of testing, 
you know, all of that continued kind of emphasis. I actually just watched a show on, on TV here about year 12s, and it was just uh, talking about all their anxiety about taking mm. their exams and and all of this. And then there's also an anti-testing movement that's kind of growing. So that's that's all interesting on some level. But again, to me, the underlying value of those tests is I'm not really convinced by it anyway. So um, to me, what, what I'm looking at is for a backlash against all of that mm. and a reconceptualization of learning, reconceptualization about the value of schooling, um, all of these kinds of activities. I'm hoping we'll, we'll uh, be pushed forward a little bit. Um, it's hard to escape the issues around sort of structural issues related to money and the economics of education and all that kind of stuff, especially in the U.S. as there are all kinds of threats about defunding education at all levels through the government and turning it into a completely commodified endeavor. But Which comes back to the Richard Hill stuff on higher education as that's well. Right. This isn't just about school. So I guess that comes back around to your kind of interrogation of assumptions and explorations of possibility. So it's hope, yeah. I guess. Well, I guess so. But I, I think more than anything, I think that what it is, is I think that... Um, I think that our mania for metrics is really kind of obscuring a lot of potential breakthroughs right now. So many people I know doing research in my field are really focused on linking things into test scores without really interrogating the value of those those scores or you know the underlying assumptions of what it is they're even trying to do. And so to me, I think that um, uh, we've lost a lot and stepping away from these sort of social theories, these big ideas about sort of just what does it mean? What is education and what does it mean? What does it mean to be in a space with other people um, who all have slightly different ideas about education, working together in some ways, working against each other in some ways and, and all of that. And I think I get just, I just uh, really have a, a great hope that we'll move away from this sort of metrics, from the sort of groupism of the way that education is talked about these days and and uh, move toward understanding it as something much more nuanced and that really ultimately plays out at the individual level rather than the organizational level. Mm. Well, you've made education leadership sound quite interesting. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to put that on my wall. Excellent. Thanks very much. All right. Thank you, Neil.